1: Followed by Paul Harvey. Welcome back to the Seth Leafson Show, Tuesday, May 11th. It's a delight to welcome back our good friend, Ariel Davidson. You want to be smart. You want to follow her on Twitter. Her her Twitter handle, at Political L, Political E-L-L-E, Ariel Davidson, Senior Policy Analyst at JINSA, Jewish Institute of National Security Affairs. Ariel, how are you?
2: I'm well. How are you? Good.
1: I'm told on the East Coast you guys are going to start trading toilet paper for gasoline. Is that true? Yeah. I'm
2: actually. I'm standing outside right now, catch <laughs> thank thank
0: anyone's
1: attention. <laughs> you don't miss a beat. All right, Ariel. Uh, it seems I was saying on the air yesterday. Every ten years, something like what's happening in Israel seems to happen. Uh, there's a small um, grievance that is propagandized into a, a big asymmetric thing happening in the world that uh, no one can believe Israel is doing. An intifada or riot breaks out. Rockets uh, get fired, and we're in this position again where words like uh, apartheid and colonial and imperialist make a comeback. What's happening in Israel, Ariel?
2: Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, there's sort of this bubbling up that's taking place that happens every 10 years or so. You know, the last time we saw this happen was in 2014, Uh, With Hamas and Israel. Uh, And, you know, essentially, it's precisely what you said. There's some sort of propaganda of some incident that takes place within Israel. Um, Usually Israel acts with force, and it's in a justified manner. Uh, The incidents that took place recently in Jerusalem and in neighborhoods, specifically in East Jerusalem, uh, involve potential evictions of Palestinians living on land that is owned by Jews. Uh, These Palestinians that are living on this land, some of them have not paid their rent, some of them their leases have expired, and so like any normal tenant-landlord relationship, they are being asked to leave.
1: And went through court Uh, procedures to get to that answer.
2: Yes. A significant amount of a court procedures. A significant amount of
1: court years. procedures. Yeah. In the Jewish years. state, you think they don't have a lot of court procedures. They got a lot. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. Well, they have the highest spectacular number of lawyers, I believe. There you go.
1: Yeah. Exactly. In the world
2: in Israel, yeah. if not mistaken. But yeah. regardless, yeah. years and years of court procedures over this. Now, this has become a huge flashpoint. Um, these evictions are obviously being painted as Israelis are pushing Palestinian Arabs off of their land, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, There's been, it's also, we're at the close of Ramadan, Uh, so it's what some might describe as the perfect storm, Mm -hmm. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of uh, interactions at holy sites, and violence is erupting there uh, as Palestinian Arabs are protesting. So you're just seeing an uprising of sorts, uh, and, and violence that needs to be quelled, and You know, the Israeli government has responded and and has tried to maintain an order and composure at the holy sites, and that in and of itself, I guess Hamas has sort of used that to propagandize that Israel is oppressing Palestinian Arabs that are living in East Jerusalem. Uh, They're exploiting the tensions that are rising, and they've decided to launch numerous rocket attacks, I think we're up to over 600 now. Uh, with seven of them, at least seven, targeting Jerusalem and central Israel, which is really has, shows a level of escalation you didn't see in 2014. Right. Uh, and what is unusual about the recent conflict is that you're seeing a lot more of Hamas trying to create ties between Gaza and Jerusalem that weren't there before. So if you think of the West, Bank— oh, tell Bank, me about that. Think, tell me
1: about that. Gaza, yeah, wants, so, yeah, that's interesting.
2: Right. So if you think of the West Bank and you think of East Jerusalem, yeah. you know, those are Palestinian Palestinian Authority has you know has control of the area. Hamas is in is in Gaza. Right. This is not their this is not their domain, right. for lack of a better term. Right. And so when we when we see Hamas attempting to show themselves as the standard bearers bearers of the Palestinian-Arab resistance, and in particular in Jerusalem, that's a problem, because they're really stepping on the toes of not only Israel, but the Palestinian Authority. And what was even odder is you saw Hamas' flags up in East Jerusalem during these clashes. That's really weird, because that's not that's not Hamas' territory. Right, that's Fatah territory,
1: that's PLO territory.
2: It is. That's not, you know, they're out in Gaza. And so, this is what makes the, the recent... Uh, clashes and the recent violence on the part of Hamas, really strange, um, but, but tactical, right? And this is why we're seeing sort of a new formula emerge with regards to how Hamas is trying to shore up uh, support among Palestinian Arabs. And this is one way they're doing it. They're trying to show that we are the ones that are going to recapture Jerusalem.
1: Is... Um, I. I, I I thought I knew the answer to this, but maybe I don't know the answer to this. So I'll ask you about Hamas in Jerusalem. Is it is one of the reasons Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority, the head of Fatah, the head of the PLO, is one of the reasons he hasn't held elections because he's worried about Hamas influence in West Bank and East Jerusalem? Or has that not been he's one? He's worried
2: b- also about – so Mahmoud Abbas, is, he has a very, very low approval rating. Uh, It's around, I think it's around like 25%. He's also worried internally about factions in the Fatah. Uh, And so that in in and of itself is problematic for him because there are young, um, I would say, young leaders, uh, some of them even former terrorists who are interested in leading the Palestinian Authority and leading the Palestinian government. So he's actually worried about those individuals, I would say, more than he is about Hamas. Palestinian Authority is sort of a non-factor for Hamas. They've kind of, they, they've, they've shown that they're not really good at, they've shown that they're not good at all at restraining Hamas. Um, and Hamas and the Palestinian Authority do not get along whatsoever, as, as, you, as you alluded to. Um, but in this particular conflict right now, they're not really, um, they're not really showing themselves to be any sort of uh, form of support for Israel in, in any way. Um, But even though stability is in their best interest, this is the the strange part, is that I think at the end of the day, the Palestinian Authority would like to see stability. Uh, And you actually aren't seeing, um, you know, you are seeing problems in East Jerusalem. But the West Bank is very quiet right now. Uh, And there's a reason for that, because I think the Palestinian Authority, you know, I don't think they really want to get involved. Uh, And and Judea and Samaria right now, you're not seeing a kind of activity. You're seeing most of the activity is either coming from Gaza or in East Jerusalem. So I want I to awesome turn to that activity
1: point. in a second. I want to stay—you uh, raised some interesting things I, I just was unaware of, uh, given, given uh, news cycles and my lack of attention to the stuff you pay great attention to, Ariel. Let me ask you, is there this element, is there any thinking that uh, Fatah and the Palestinian Authority might be on the wane, might be on, you know— Feckless and ineffective, and just not relevant. And Hamas, with the backing of Iran and a rising and revanchist Iran right now, is the relevant strong horse uh, in when it comes to Israeli-Palestinian issues. Is that possibly the case? Also,
2: I mean, I would, I you know, to be frank, I don't believe that Hamas would be able to shore up popularity of that kind in the West Bank, okay. only because in Gaza, you know, their their the ec- economics in Gaza right now. Are astoundingly bad. I mean, so they're much not great in the yeah. West Bank, yeah. but they're they're horrifically bad in, in Gaza. And interestingly, I don't think, that despite Hamas's behavior, I don't think they're actually interested in another war with Israel because it would even further cripple an economy that's already falling apart, not just in its own right, but also from COVID. Uh, and once that happens, you know, once things go completely, uh, you know, once things completely rot then I, I think Hamas will have a situation where they're going to have very, very limited popularity now. That being said, you know, does it really matter because they don't hold fair and free elections there anyway? So just, is popularity that relevant if the last time he held an election was 2006? Uh, debatably, right? I mean, you don't have to be incredibly popular uh, if you're not planning on, you know, asking the population what they think of you. That's a very but good point, being,
1: yeah.
2: Right. But that being said, you know, they are probably worried about internal backlash and they do have to keep they do have to remain aware of that. And so any opportunity they can capitalize on pensions, um, specifically in, in East Jerusalem and, and specifically sort of the show of force, they're going to do that because this is a chance for them to sort of peacock in the international stage and also peacock to the areas living in their territories as well as Within Palestinian Authority territories as
1: well, um, it's a great point because that, you know, well, yeah no well the legacy of the Palestinian Authority here, Fatah inspired as it is, uh, party a uh, political party running it as it is, it's an interesting thing in a way right because their calling card their their means for birth and existence um, under under the under Yasser Arafat and and shortly thereafter was terrorism was antagonism towards Israel on the ground, however. They know that any existence will depend upon more and better relations with Israel at this point. So they kind of have to engage in suicide on one half, ideological suicide on one half of their existence. If that makes any sense, they just don't know which half. Uh, Let let me take a a quick break. I can keep you a while. while, Can't I, Ariel? You can stay, right? I got to take – okay. So that and then we'll get over to Gaza. More with Ariel Davidson. When we come right back of Jinsa, follow her at political L.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson show. There's a little Johnny Cash doing a little Bob Dylan for you and, uh, to, uh, To continue with our uh, diversity, it's a delight to have Ariel Davidson with us. She is with the Jewish Institute of National Security Affairs. You can follow her on Twitter at Political L, E L L E, Political E L L E. We're talking about the goings on in Israel, about which uh, Ariel is a uh, very devoted and serious scholar. Um, Ariel, Before we move over to what's going on as between Gaza and Israel and the rocket situation, just another moment or two, if I could, on the West Bank and East Jerusalem and Fatah. The point I was making with you uh, on the way to the break, Fatah, the Palestinian Authority, they seem to me to be in an odd intellectual and political position. Terrorism is what they were. That, uh, That is who they were. That's what Yasser Arafat was. He founded it. And he found himself later in life uh, – he, fa- he found out that God had a sense of humor, I guess, and it turned him into some kind of a statesman and he had to determine, do I be terrorist or do I be statesman? Do I try and make a deal for the betterment of my people with the country and economy that works and wants to make a deal or do I maintain my own existence? This is really the internal battle that is still plaguing the Palestinian Authority, isn't it? They don't know which to do on which day, do they?
2: Well, there's also this mentality of if you strike a deal, you know, no less than 100 percent, if you strike a deal with the Jews, then you're showing weakness, you're showing complicity. Right. Yeah. you're showing vulnerability. So this has always been the, the chronic problem for Palestinian authority and Palestinian leaders in general is that um, because they can't show up with less than 100 um, percent, because they've built up their own people into a fur then uh, the reality is is that they just adopt a policy of pure rejectionism. And as a consequence, the Palestinian Authority, the Palestinians in general, I should say, not just the Palestinian Authority, but Palestinian leadership has rejected the creation of a state a bare minimum of six times. And why is that? Because there's this element of rejectionism that has just unfortunately off- completely ossified Palestinian leadership and made them incapable of being able to Uh, Accept the possibility of a Jewish state and a Palestinian state existing next to one another. Uh, There also just you know clearly isn't really the infrastructure in place to run a state full fledgedly. And you know whenever when I was looking at uh, tweets from Ilhan Omar and various other members of Congress talking about you know what about the Palestinian right to self defense, it occurred to me that there was this weird equation taking place that the Palestinians were now being equated with Hamas. Uh, that's really. Different. Oh, that's
1: interesting. That's it. So. Yeah. Whole, oh, wow. Yeah. OK, good. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, you know, you're starting to think, well, wait a minute, like, because, you know, they're saying, well, Israel has a right to self-defense. Don't the Palestinians. And, you know, I don't think Ilan Omar wants to go down the path of Hamas becoming the voice of the Palestinians. You
1: she know, might. Although question. she might. I mean, it's, enti- it's entirely might. possible. I mean, Rashida Tlaib has called for a one state solution, not a two state solution.
2: Yeah, well, I've, my response to that is always show me a state in the Middle East where Jews have been a, where there's an Arab majority or a Muslim majority where Jews have been able to thrive. Mm. Uh, there isn't one because most Jews are either ethnically cleansed or killed from the regions in which they have lived throughout the Middle East, uh, and that's why you have a tremendous number of Jewish refugees or descendants of Jewish refugees living in Israel. Uh, about a million at the time of Israel's War of Independence. Were uh, ethnically cleansed or killed uh, throughout the Middle East and North Africa. So uh, you know, it doesn't. This idea of a one-state solution, where it's a Muslim-majority country, uh, it does not offer any sort of security for the Jews that are living in Israel. Uh, It's a very dangerous proposition. It it creates
1: another Syria or another or another Libya. It just—I I just wonder if anyone steps back to wonder what that would look like. But let's. Has anyone
2: looked at the know. Palestinian Authority or Hamas and said these people should be running a country? Right, right. I mean, really, has anyone said that except for Rashida? Tla- has no. anyone said no that no. except for Ilan Omar?
1: No, no. But of course, you know, so we—you you and I—you and I know what they'll say. Well, it's because Israel wouldn't let them and has deprived them of the normal no, right. They have right. Text- <laughs>
2: Filled with idolizing terrorists. That's not Israel. That's a a serious systemic cultural problem. No, they
1: can fire rockets. They just can't get vaccines to their people.
2: That's That's what I said today. I said, isn't it funny how Hamas can afford 500 rockets but can't vaccinate their population?
1: Let me talk to you about the rockets. This one tweet between you and an attorney I don't know. You may know him. It doesn't matter the point. Abides. You wrote, imagine if Mexico fired 600 rockets at the United States in a span of three days and we were all rushing to bomb shelters. Would you tell Joe Biden to kind of take it easy? This attorney wrote, Mexico would become a parking lot in minutes. Um. What Israel puts up with is actually showing of restraint as opposed to what you will hear from CBS and the New York Times and the Washington Post, Ariel. It, it takes all of talk radio and people like you to get this point out, but that is true.
2: Oh, absolutely. And it's a tremendous amount of restraint. And, you know, what makes talking about these things difficult is you'll see someone uh, like Ilan Omar saying, well, look how many Palestinians have died. And that's a tragedy, too. We don't want we want to minimize civilians' deaths. The reality, the reason that you're not seeing, you know, hundreds of Israelis dying from 600 rockets being launched over Israel, you know, there are two reasons. Hamas has terrible aim. The second one, though, which is far more important, is that the Iron Dome is, techno- is military technology that was created in collaboration between the United States and Israel that intercepts these rockets tremendously effectively. I mean, really... The video is coming out right now of rockets flying over Ben Gurion Airport and being intercepted by the Iron Dome. It's unbelievable. A friend of mine that's who has amazing. an
1: apartment in, in in Tel Aviv, which I visited uh, two years ago, he sent pictures from his um, patio. Yeah, you bet. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's that's unbelievable. That's why you're not seeing Israeli deaths. It's not because uh, Israelis are being you know so much more aggressive than Palestinians. Actually, quite the opposite. It's Israelis have much better defense technology. And instead of keeping their civilians in, in schools and in hospitals, they evacuate the premises where Hamas uses children as human shields in order to garner up international outrage if Israel is ever to target a Hamas stockpile. Uh, so they hide military equipment, they hide military personnel in locations where there are children, where there are civilians, where there are the sick, where there are the elderly. It's grotesque. Uh, but this is the type, you know, there's no value on human life coming from Hamas. These are terrorists. They have been designated as terrorists by the, the uh, State Department. Uh, these are not rational actors, and they have no interest in protecting their population. And so if you ever see someone like Ilan Omar saying, you know, this is, you know, there's such a discrepancy in the number of deaths. You know, just translate that to not enough Jewish people have died. That's
1: exactly right.
2: For Ilan Omar to be satisfied, that's so that—that—that exactly right. that's, that to me is what I hear when I read a tweet like that. The reality comes down to how Hamas treats its own citizens and the defense—the uh, defense systems that Israel has in place to defend its, its own citizens, which, by the way, includes Israeli Jews and Israeli Arabs.
1: Right. Right, that's protecting Israeli Jews and Israeli Arabs, which Israel protects more of than most Arab states can do for themselves. Ariel Davidson, always great checking in with you. Um, let's not make it so long between visits. Thank you for everything you do.
0: Thank
2: you, Seth. Have a great time. We'll talk Have soon.
1: You bet. Seth Leipsin six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We're going to the border. Andy Biggs is taking uh, Mike Gallagher and myself to the border on May 24th. On May 25th, we're going to do an event with you all. Uh, crisis at the Border is what we're calling it. And it'll be about the border crisis, of course, given the title, but so much more. Uh, and how this is part and parcel of the progressive feature to fundamentally transform america we'll talk about all of it uh, mike gallagher me and andy biggs and you may 25th in scottsdale you can get tickets at 960 the com. it'll be good to see you. it'll be good to get together it'll be good to say hi to mike and andy in person um, and it'll be good to get out and have what i like to call gamutlikite gamutlikite with the audience um we're one of the uh, – I, I don't know how many. We're we are a station that loves to do community activity. We just love to be involved in the community, and we do several events a year. And it's been hobbled and changed, of course, and dramatically reduced because of uh, the Chinese virus. But we're back now, baby. We are back. Uh, okay. Am I go- where am I going to? Am I going to Mike in uh, Maricopa? Hi, Mike. Yes. Good afternoon,
0: Seth. Talking about government misstatements, or maybe we could call it propaganda, Uh, several years ago when they were rolling out Obamacare and they were talking about the high cost of health care, they had made comments about not treating grandma, uh, but we can hire 10 teachers uh, for that for the cost of taking care of grandma. But now I notice that it's the other way around. They want us to wear a mask because you don't want to give grandma COVID or go ahead and get your vaccination because certainly you don't want to go visit grandma on Mother's Day and give her COVID. Uh, The other thing is it's the way that they're manipulating this, the COVID and the increase to raise the national wage to $15 an hour. As when they started pushing that out, there was a lot of pushback from small businesses because clearly they couldn 't afford to pay somebody that much and Now you have the the government uh, in their unemployment paying the people a basic equivalent to fifteen dollars an hour and now and it goes back and forth i 've heard both sides of the argument, but now that the people don 't want to go back to work because they can make more money staying at home. And now the employers, they're going to have to raise the wage. They're offering sign-on bonuses, and they're paying people gas money to come to work. They're basically bribing them. So with with both of those statements about the masks and the teachers and the Obamacare and the raising the wages, the government is getting what they want, but they're being rather disingenuous on how they're trying to manipulate the American psyche into getting what they want.
1: Yeah, I, I that first point that you both points are, are very good, Mike, uh, that first point, uh, you uh, you had kind of kind of put a stop to me because you, you were talking about and I'd like you to flesh it out just a little more because I want to make sure I understand you correctly. <coughs> but did I did I take your point to be the things we've learned is that. We as a society turned upside down our typical public health responses when it comes to COVID because we made the young pay the price for the old. Is that what we were? T- is that was that your point? It's a point I agree with. I, I just wasn't sure if that was your point.
0: Well, I think uh, my point was is it's how they're manipulating it because they want to pick something out that tugs on everybody's heartstrings, grandma, and in back you know, during the Obama administration, they were saying it costs too much to treat the elderly,
1: I and we could hire that. the I'm
0: teachers. But now all of a sudden they're using that grandma uh, saying, yeah. to go over here, and it's the opposite. It, it's like 10 years ago they really didn't care about grandma because they weren't going to spend the money. Well, what's
1: interesting is 10 years, 5 years, 3 years, 2 months uh, – well, 2 years, I should say. 2 years, 5 years, 10 years, 20, 40, 50 years – Public policy has often in this country, more likely than not, been uh, in the name of protecting children from something harmful, whether it was lead paint, lead water, especially – you name it, you name it. Uh, Second uh-huh. smoke, cigarettes, all of this, drugs, all of this was for the public health and safety of our children as, of course, are all the school regulations and so forth. In fact, we would say in proposing policies – You know, to protect the children, for the sake of the children. And this was a weird thing about this disease is it didn't affect the children, but we made them pay the price. This was something we needed to do for the obese and the elderly. But we made the perfectly healthy 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20-year-olds pay the price. That's unprecedented. My friends at Trades Unlimited want me to tell you about foam roofs here in the valley. Trades Unlimited is for all your roofing needs, but foam roofs uh, are one of their areas of expertise. Not only do foam roofs help insulate your home from extreme heat, as you get in Arizona, but they also help insulate your home from exterior noise and your house from water leaks. I've met the folks at Trades Unlimited. I've been down to their warehouse and offices. Great people, truly great people with a great Work ethic. They have an A-plus rating at the BBB Better Business Bureau, and I know why. As I say, they um, measure twice and cut once. Just good people. Quality and services, what you'll come to know with Trades Unlimited. Hot summer sun is perfect for foam recoats, especially the way they do them. Protect your roof before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised. Don't wait until it's too late. Call my friends over at Trades Unlimited at 480 480- 4831775 or find them online at tradesunlimited.com that's trades unlimited.com for all your roofing needs. I um I was I was curiously watching some of the fallout of the discussion from the New York Times calling out the CDC for misleading Information on outdoor transmission. Again, let me give you the upshot. The CDC has said that outdoor transmission of the coronavirus is about a ten, it, it, it is a little less than ten percent. Ten percent of COVID transmission occurs outdoors. Okay, less than ten percent of COVID admission, transmission occurs outdoors. That's what the CDC's been saying. New York Times dug down and found. That the number really is more like one tenth of one percent, not less than ten. Well, it is less than ten percent, but it's misleading in the sense that I could tell you uh, Bill hasn't lifted over five hundred pounds recently, and that would be totally true and totally misleading. Just as it would be totally true and equally misleading to say under twenty 000, fewer than twenty thousand people die from great right great white shark attacks every year. Yes, it's true. But misleading when the number is 100. Less than 10% is true, but misleading when the number is uh, one-tenth of one percent. Which even is probably high because, it has to be, because as I am quoting directly, directly from the New York Times, quote, there is not a single documented COVID infection anywhere in the world from casual outdoor Interactions, such as walking past someone on the street or eating at a nearby table. So, if that's been known, and it has been known, I remember a year ago people like Dennis and Heather saying masks outdoors are ridiculous, people like me saying it, people like Bill saying it, people like Bill saying it, uh, Bill Bennett and, uh, Go- and uh, Goonie Bird. Good. Should I not do that? I shouldn't call you Goonie Bird. It's not right. It was meant as a compliment. Because that was the nickname of Don Larson, the great baseball player, who pitched a perfect game in the World Series. What was it, like 1956? And I wanted to give you the name Don Larson so that you would, you know, esteem and attain perfection, strive for perfection. Anyway, it was meant as a compliment. No more Goonie Bird. But my point th- is this. We were talking a year ago about the ridiculousness, the absurdity of masks outdoors. And now we realize, because the New York Times has finally said so, that the CDC was misleading us about this. There is no case of transmission of COVID outdoors. Doesn't happen. Uh, casual transmission. Uh, casual, casual outdoor interactions leading to transmission. Um So it made me think – it just made me think there's been a lot of CDC guidance over the last uh, month, a lot. We've been getting a lot of headlines about CDC changing guidance and guidelines based on vaccinations, based on people uh, being vaccinated and, and operating indoors and outdoors and with those who haven't been vaccinated and masks. And it seems to me that the American people are extremely confused about what the CDC guidelines are, extremely confused. Let me ask, as an example, can anyone tell me, does the CDC recommend you wear a mask indoors with fellow vaccinated citizens if you're vaccinated? Does it? If you're vaccinated, can you wear a mask with non-vaccinated people and be outdoors, but do you have to wear a mask? These are the questions the CDC can't give us clear answers to, which has turned it into a mockery. It has turned it into a mockery. I'll give you an example. Okay, Seth, it's hard when you talk and verbalize what the rules are because we need to kind of see it. Fine. Let's go to the CDC website, cdc.gov slash coronavirus slash 2019 vaccines fully vaccinated. If you've been fully vaccinated, they write, you can gather indoors with fully vaccinated people without wearing a mask or staying six feet apart. You can gather indoors with unvaccinated people of any age from one other household without masks. Or staying six feet apart, unless any of those other people or anyone they live with has an increased risk for severe illness from COVID 19. You can gather or conduct activities outdoors without wearing a mask except in certain crowded settings and venues. Clear as mud. Clear as mud. You can gather or conduct activities outdoors without wearing a mask except in certain crowded settings. And venues. Um, and then there's a whole series of what you can and cannot do as a vaccinated person with regard to travel. If David Leonard at the New York Times did us one favor here, if he did us one favor here, um, it's a big one. And it's showing that the CDC is not Mount Olympus and the be all and end all Of follow the science and listening for the, and um, excuse me, following the science and telling the truth. It's actually not that simple because the truth as they communicate it to us has changed several times. That's the funny thing about truth as we know it. It doesn't change. It might be Anthony Fauci's truth, but it may not, but that's not the truth. And his truth on masks, his truth on vaccines, has changed several times, three by my count. The CDC's guidance on masks has changed, by my count, three times. No surprise, since they and Anthony Fauci play off one another. But if you want to make a mockery of science, and if you want to make a mockery of the notion of what a vaccine is, and if you want to make a mockery of the notion... That you have a center that's looking out for your public health first and foremost above any and other and all considerations. You don't. You don't. You don't have that. I'll tell you what you did have a year ago. At least you had a president who called them out on it. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. The uh, social media, big tech um, collusion against conservative thought uh, is ongoing. We just learned a little while ago that our Facebook page is not being allowed to reach out and advertise and promote our events. I think this is incredible. I find out that the uh, author I interviewed Uh, Yesterday, uh, Ashley Rinsdale on his book on the New York Times, critical of the New York Times, Facebook has banned him from being able to promote his book. Uh, This is going rather rapidly. You start – you know, people don't think – they don't take it seriously. It's just – they take it kind of as a throwaway, this notion. If they can do it to the – if they can do it to the uh, president of the United States – They can do it to anyone. Well, they're doing it to anyone and everyone. It just takes them a while to get around to you. They've gotten around to 960. Twitter already uh, shut us down and we had to create a new and start from scratch with a new uh, Twitter handle. But to give you an idea of not just just the um, insane and anthraxious reasoning, the panjandrums that Facebook go through. But let me just show you whose side they're on. Let me just show you. And I read you from David Harsanyi. As the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians intensified on Tuesday night, Iran's Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, who helps fund and direct Hamas's actions, tweeted out the following quick quote. Palestinians are awake and determined. They must continue this path. One can only talk with the language of power with these criminals. They must increase their strength, stand strong, confront the enemy, and force them to stop their crimes. Hashtag free Palestine, which means all of Israel, by the way, to those who use that hashtag. That means Tel Aviv and Haifa and Herzliya, as well as with West Jerusalem. Within minutes of Khamenei tweeting that out, sirens were sounding in Tel Aviv. As the second largest city in Israel came under a barrage of rocket fire. It's worth remembering that when Donald Trump was permanently suspended from Twitter while still an office holder, Twitter said the reason was the risk of further incitement of violence. Donald Trump incites violence. The Ayatollah of Iran egging on rocket attacks on civilians does not. Orwell's not spinning in his grave. He's stalking the land, proudly saying, I told you so.